What's up, what's up, everybody? I'm back again with another episode of Trayball. That's not my actual jump shot form. I never really kind of got like got my own jump shot form. I don't know why. I guess that's why I'm not a good basketball player. But anyways, <laughs> this is Trayball, episode three. Week three, I should say. And uh, we got some good basketball topics today. We're going to talk about the Rockets, of course. My team are the Lakers. They always in the news. The Clippers, my pseudo team, if you will. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Devin Booker becoming an all-star. Uh, we also talk about the 76ers and what the problem is with them as a team. So let's get straight into it, man. You know how it is on the show. We talk about NBA. Basketball. All right. First topic we're going to talk about is the Rockets formula is working. This small ball this small ball lineup is actually working. That's been a I think it's not only been a surprise to me, but a surprise to a lot of people, a lot of basketball pundits and just viewers who, who like to watch the NBA and cover it. This has been an experiment by Mike D'Antoni that they've done since they traded Clint Capella to the Hawks and the part of that four team twelve player trade that sent Capella to the Hawks, like I said, with the Nay and the slew of other players that got sent to different teams. And just playing, at first it was P.J. Tucker at the center, who was only 6'6". And there was a lot of memes circling around the internet, like, joking on that fact. But they actually traded for Robert Covington, who was actually 6'9". And thinking about it, he's actually the same height as Bam Adebayo, who's playing center for the Heat. So, although he doesn't play like a big, like Bam Adebayo does at the same height, just that height of 6'9", and as they put him at the center now, it kind of covers for like, just the lack of height and, like, just size that they had with P.J. Tucker at the center at 6'6". So, I think Adam Robert Cubs kind of helped. They benefited that, especially after his play where he did the first game when he played against the Lakers. Like I mentioned last week on the show, he played really well. But another reason as to why this team is actually flourishing with the small ball lineup is Russell Westbrook. Um, as you as you heard me mention on the show, if, if, and as you heard just throughout the league, if you cut, if like if you watch it and see what's going on, James Harden has been having a kind of shooting slump, and that's kind of been like I wouldn't say hindering the team, but with the usual James Harden performance we're like accustomed to, with him like leading the league in points, we're accustomed to James Harden having a high volume of scoring and making a lot of shots and making a lot of shot attempts, but in recent games. We we seen a slump in his numbers in terms of like his shooting uh, stats, but his past game they played, uh, he actually had forty two points, and actually in the third quarter he actually scored nineteen consecutive points. So is this him kind of getting back into the groove of things as Russell is becoming the primary ball handler of this team? Which I thought even before the season started, I thought that was the ideal thing for this team to do because Russell is a better ball hand I wouldn't say he's a better ball handler, but he works better on the ball than James Harden works as I I'm not James Harden as he, Russell works off the ball because Russell is not as a good shooter, at least in recent like seasons, as James Harden is from the three point line. And you can use James Harden as a spot up shooter, which is not bad at all, but you can like defer to him. But with Russell being the primary ball handler and bringing the ball down the court and with Clint, and Clint Capella being gone from the team, leaving that paint wide open, creating more space for Russell, which he hasn't been used to since, I would say, his entire career. 
Because if you look at the way he was, like, the pieces that he had around him in Oklahoma City, he also had a big man that was down low, whether it be Kendrick Perkins or Steven Adams or Enos Cantor. Those men play inside the paint, so it kind of, like, clogged it up a little bit. And, yes, he would do, like, a little drop-off pass right there in the paint. But as we see it now and the way he's playing, he's not averaging triple-doubles, triple but he's scoring on a more efficient scale, getting points on the board and taking shots and not missing as many shots because he's attacking the rim. He's not taking as many threes. His three-point uh, three attempts has went down in the last couple of games, I would say, since the trade and since the space, like I said, has been open for him to attack the paint. And he's playing more into his style, more into his game, which is being aggressive, attacking the paint, taking those mid-range shots, uh, not taking as many threes. Because for some reason, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Because Russell didn't used to be as bad from the three-point line as he is right now. But throughout, I would say, the past three, four years, he has been as good from three-point line uh, as he used to be early on in his career. I want to say early, like in his, yeah, early on in his career, I should say. So we're seeing that right now. Like I said, James Harden is playing phenomenal. He, well, he played phenomenal, I should say, in the last game against the Celtics uh, on Tuesday where him and Russell combined for 78 points. Harden had 42 and Russ had 36. And they did lose to the Jazz on Sunday, but it was a very close game due to Boyan Bondanovich, a uh, game-winning shot that gave him the win from 114 to 113. So, like I said, James Harden has had a great game to recover from his shooting slump over the past month and a half. Uh, there's been something that was good for them in the Celtics game uh, against, uh, against the Celtics. And like I said, Russell is flourishing. In the system right now, it's 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 going well for Dan Tony. It's looking good for him to actually have this system. But I know a lot of people have been wondering how long and how well can this, can this last up? Because if you look at it, when things like this happen and like new adjustments are made on teams and for teams, they can look good at first because a lot of teams are not accustomed or have made adjustments and figured out a way to defend different type of playing styles. Like one thing I want to reference to is when. I remember with LeBron James in his last year in Cleveland when he had all his players, like when he traded away like Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, and D Wade, and all of them, and he got like Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, and and a bunch of them guys, and they played Oklahoma City. And a lot of people was going around like, "Oh, this new team, LeBron looks happy," blah blah blah. And it turned out to be one of LeBron's like one of his worst teams because he was it as the season progressed. After that trade, we seen him carrying more so of the load of the team, and it showed it was more apparent during the playoffs especially because a lot of them didn't have as much playoff experience. And we all know the, the famous J.R. Smith situation that happened in game one at the finals against the Warriors. So we can – I don't want to put all the chips into the bast into the – I don't want to throw all my chips out there. I just have to combine the chips and the egg in the basket analogy. But I don't want to put – all my eggs in one basket, saying that Tony has found the perfect system for this team. Let's give it some time. They are 5-2 and two right now, I would say, with this new system going on right now with the small ball with Roko as center. They are 5-2. and two. Um, I would say give it some time before we really, like, make a, a clear judgment of this system is going to work. Because, remember, I said this. Then If D'Antoni, if they don't make it to Western Conference Final or even to the Finals, because I don't think their owner is as lenient as we think that, that he will be because they already went to West Conference Finals before. 
They feel like they have all the pieces necessary. They made they made this trade for Capella to be gone and went with D'Antoni's system. So they're they're working with him. They're more in D'Antoni kind of on the hot seat right now. And Tim Fertitta, I know his name now. I remembered it before. I just forgot when I, when I heard the podcast the first week. Tim Fertitta, he's at the point right now where he's like, okay, I gave y'all y'all time. I kind of like, he's a new owner for the team as well. I kind of looked around the team and see how things work, trying to get accustomed to it. Now is the time where we need to start winning, like getting these championships because he doesn't have time to play. So Durham Moore, especially with the, the tweets and the recent stuff that he did with China and Mike D'Antoni are kind of on the hot seat. So let's say this does carry out for a good, effective regular season, which is all fine and dandy, but the Rockets have been proven throughout the past couple of years to be good regular season teams and not as productive or shown what they are projected to be in the playoffs. Um, especially, I wouldn't say last year, I wouldn't say two seasons ago because they actually made the West Conference Finals and, and faced a tough Warriors team. But they faced a tough, uh, they lost that, that Warriors series in 2018. And a lot of people, I'll give them credit, they did lose Chris Paul. But they had a terrible, terrible, terrible shooting performance from the three that uh, that night in Game Seven, which kind of hindered them. But last season, I wouldn't give them no excuse. They had Chris Paul. The Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant, and a lot of people was actually thinking this might be the Rockets' chance, and they still didn't show up and flourish. Not going to James Harden. James Harden played well, but the rest of the team just couldn't show up during that. So now with Russell Westbrook, who many, including myself, consider an upgrade from Chris Paul, and with this new system that Tony has put in, the hot seat is definitely there. Like it's cooking. Like they, <laughs> they rising up from their seat because it's it's really getting hot. Because if this doesn't work out this season, there will be some moves made. Like I said earlier before, then Tony will definitely be fired. Like he he won't be re- not fired because his contract ended at the end of the season, but he won't get resigned. And Darren Moore might be fired because this. This this approach that they're taking, they tried it for so many years, and it's not getting them a championship. And they have two players in their prime. Maybe people could see that Russell is kind of like going out of his prime. Maybe people look at it that way. I still think he's in his prime. I think he's still playing very well and efficient. But James Harden definitely is is that like a real prime for him, especially scoring wise. So it's it will be who. Of Daryl Moore and D'Antoni to make to figure out and make sure this works, and hope that they can make it to the Western Conference Finals, if not the championship, so they can keep their jobs. So that's my thing on the Rockets. They're doing well right now, but like I said, as time goes on and as we see as season progresses and as teams get adjusted to their system, and like I said before, they play teams with better perimeter defense, and which they have recently, and they still showed to actually do good against those teams. Once these teams kind of get adjusted to who they are, and it's going to be harder in a seven-game series because you're facing the same team in a seven-game series, and they're going to be able to adjust and know your play style and accommodate for the way you play. So let's see how that plays out throughout the season and the playoffs. Maybe this be a good thing for the Rockets. Maybe it won't. The next thing I want to talk about is the Lakers. So what should the Lakers do now? I know they a lot of people was talking about them getting Darren Collison. Darren Collison is not he's agreed to not come out of retirement for the Lakers or just for any team in general. He's not coming out of retirement. They didn't make any trades on the deadline. So that kinda like hindered them. But 
buyout season is around the corner, if not now. Uh, there are some people who I've heard around that is possibly getting ball- balled out by their teams. Reggie Jackson, I heard Deion Waiters' name has been circling around as well. And those are guards. Jamal Crawford's still in free agency. He's still not, he's still not signed to a team, which I think is criminal. Uh, if you ask me, he averaged, uh, I think, what, 30-something points in the month of April last season when he played for the Suns. Yeah, which I, like I said, it's ridiculous. Um because you can see in the way the Lakers play that they need an extra ball handler on their team, an extra, like, score, a person who can get a shot on their own. Because one thing about the Lakers, when you look at the way their roster is built, they do have some – I can't even say they have some good three-point shooters because they're not even that strong of a three-point shooter team as they predicted to be at the beginning of the season. But they don't have as many shot creators on that team, which I feel like is a problem. Because a lot of people say, well, if you have LeBron on your team, you need to build that team around with – like a good three-point shooters because LeBron can kick it out. But on most of his teams, if not the teams, if not all the teams actually, where he won a championship, he had somebody on that team that was a good shot creator who can take the load off LeBron. We see that in Miami with Dwayne Wade and Cleveland with Kyrie Irving. These are two players who are good shot creators who can take their load off LeBron, who can handle the ball, who can run the offense when LeBron's not there and take control of the team and score on their own will without the assistance of LeBron. I think the Lakers are still having a problem with that. Granted, Anthony Davis is there, but Anthony Davis is not too much of a shot creator. He has to be fed the ball. Anthony Davis not bringing the ball down the court, calling somebody up, calling plays, like calling for isos, doing this and that. He's not doing all that. Anthony Davis is taking his shots, being fed in the post, uh, shoot threes, which he did a lot in the last game against Denver. He shot a lot of threes, actually. Um, He's not that shot creator. He's a good big man, a great big man, probably the best – Big man that that LeBron has played with. But in terms of being a shot creator, which always fares well for LeBron James in terms of, like, winning and getting a championship, he doesn't have it on his team. It's not Danny Green. It's not Avery Bradley. I know we point to Rondo, but Rondo is not as efficient of a scorer to be that shot creator that LeBron wants. He can kind of take the load off LeBron as a guard, but he hasn't been doing it as well this season, especially with injuries that's been hindering him a little bit. Uh, he's been a little bit inconsistent throughout some games. So that's been hurting the Lakers uh, a bit this season. But other than that, him and Andy Davis are actually playing well this season. Uh, LeBron uh, LeBron James averaging excuse me, 25 points on 49% shooting from the field, uh, seven, seven, about eight rebounds per game, and leading the league in the NBA in assists with about 11 assists. 10.7 to be exact. Andy Davis was playing well as well. Well as well. Who was playing phenomenal as well, I should say. With 27 points per game, 52% uh, averaging from the, field, from the field, and about 9.2 rebounds uh, per game as well, as, along with 2.4 blocks as well, which is third in the NBA. So they're, they're, they are a good duo, but like I said, outside of that, what is... Do we? What else do we see from the Lakers? We'll see. I know. Watch from watching the Lakers, they do the same like kind of over the play. They do tip. Javale runs into the basket. LeBron gives him a lob. That's usually the first play of the game. If of every time I watch the Lakers, at least to my recent memory. But outside of that, Danny Green hasn't really been producing as much. I heard his name in trade talks for the deadline. They like I said, they didn't ultimately make a move. But Outside LeBron and AD, what else does the Lakers have? Kyle Kuzma hasn't been, hasn't been playing as well. 
and I get into an argument with my friend George about like how Kyle Kuzma is not the star pupil that the Lakers organization made him out to be. Because we point to a Brandon Ingram who's balling right now, who's actually an all-star in New Orleans. And we point to Alonzo Ball who's been playing pretty good in recent games. He wasn't playing as good at the beginning of the season, but he has been playing good recently. So it makes you think that, like, was Cal Kuzma the, the piece that they really wanted to keep? Especially with him kind of playing the same position as a LeBron James and Andy Davis at the four and three. His minutes were going to kind of, like, hinder him his and his success and maybe that's probably part of the problem but because we've seen in some games where Andy Davis is not playing Cal Kuzma does play where he does shine but you would think and I guess it's kind of hard for him because he is a younger player for him to adjust and find his footing because he is playing inconsistent very inconsistent with his game and I know a lot of people was was talking highly of Cal Kuzma talking about how he's a smart player he's playing like he a grown man because Cal Kuzma came into the league as a fourth-year senior, where a lot of these players you see nowadays are fresh out the draft as a freshman. So he had kind of that edge over some people in his draft class, and they was talking about that about him. But with him this season, he's not doing too much, averaging around 12 points, um, not too much in rebounds and assists either. So it's like, what is it? Like, is he the piece that they need? Do we need him to flourish? Because he hasn't been able to flourish so much this year in the in this system and injuries kind of held him back a little bit earlier in the season but to my knowledge he hasn't been injured as much recently so what is the true problem like I said they need another shot creator on this team to take a load off LeBron because LeBron is playing heavy minutes heavy minutes still and you hear this every year every year since even even when he's in Cleveland like they talked about well LeBron's not playing as much minutes we're gonna take the load off of him and it always ends up being more of a load on LeBron James each and every year. Like they said this year that with AD there, LeBron not going to play as many minutes, but LeBron played 41 minutes last game against Denver. Granted, it did go into overtime, but you would think that he would play less minutes, like say, if because overtime was what, like what, five minutes, five, six minutes, I should say. So, he, if you might you deduct that from forty one. If you go on by six minutes, that's thirty five. Thirty five minutes, and you would think that LeBron would probably play like thirty two minutes. Not know a lot of you probably be like, oh, that's only three minutes of rest. Like, what does that do? I go, I'll go a lot in the game actually. Three minutes of rest will actually go a lot. But LeBron, he's been playing extreme like minutes. I know, and Davis have been injured like for some parts of the season as well. LeBron, LeBron's had some games too. But I know Anthony Davis has challenged LeBron and him, and uh, LeBron have been going back and forth and, like, challenging each other, making sure they stay on task because, like I said, without them two, they're not really doing much. Like, the Lakers ain't really doing too much on his team. Like, Danny Green's not doing as good uh, on the offensive side, uh, especially in def- and defensively as well. But he's, he's still a good catch-and-shoot, but not as de- he's not as defensive. Stout as as he used to be. Um, Avery Bradley isn't doing as good. KCP was playing better as the season progressed as he did at the beginning of the season because at the beginning of the season I was like, get this man out of here. <laughs> this guy was playing terrible. JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are still a bright spot on the team, but a lot of the things that I feel like is a problem for the Lakers is not more so of their inside play, 
but more so of their outside play, their three-point play. That's been something, their perimeter play, I should say. That's something that they've, they've been trying to fix for years, like years. A lot of people, like, they have been trying to accommodate for and fix. But I think if they get another shot creator, I think if they, in this buyout season, they get somebody like a Deion Waiters, who who I think played well coming back even – even though he got like that stuff going on with the weed and the and the brownies and uh, having anxiety attacks on the plane because of that, there he there is some good in him still. Cause when I watched him play against the Clippers a couple a week ago, week or two ago, I think he played well, played well still. So I think he'll benefit being on that team. I seen the J.R. Smith was working out for the team as well. Ray Jackson, like I said, a point guard that can help take up the load off uh, for LeBron. I think it will be a good pickup for them. So we just got to see where the Lakers go and what Rob excuse me, what Rob Palenka does to fix this problem. Another thing I want to talk about this is uh, I know a lot of people get on me for being a Clippers fan, but I'm not really a Clippers fan. I just like Paul George. I like Paul George and I like Big Y. Like, is that, is that, can I not like players who, who play for a team? Like, they got, can I not like a team? I'm not saying I like that team like I'm following them, but I just like the way they play. Like, kind of I do that. It's the same way like I do Denver. I like Denver for the way they play. Don't know why. I just always liked them for years, even before Jokic. Like, I'm talking about Iguodala, uh, Fareed, and Ty Lawson, Melo, Chauncey Billows, AI. Like, I don't know. I just like it. Man, the clones are pretty cool, too. But the Clippers, they had two crucial losses this past week. Uh, one against the Sixers on Tuesday, and then against the Celtics on Thursday. Uh, both close games, to be exact, um, when they're on their road trip to the East. And the first game they played against the 76ers, Paul George played. Then he, he only uh, – he Paul George played 35 minutes, I'd say, and only had 11 points, shooting three for 15 from the field. And that game they lost the Sixers, 110-103. And that was the game, if you uh, looked at it, uh, that was after – because a bunch of controversy going on in the Sixers, which I'll touch on as well. Uh, with Embiid and the Sixers, and what should the Sixers do going forward? Uh, Simmons and Embiid both played very well that game. Uh, they both had 26 points uh, each, while Richardson helped with an addition of 21 points, so he stepped up to the plate. And they benched out Horford this game, too, which is something that they tried, that Brett Brown tried to do for this game, and it worked uh, to her liking because. Coming into the season, we think that, like, all oh, the 76ers got so much size. They're going to be so good, this and that. They're going to play defense. But one glaring problem that they have, and they still have to this day, is their shooting. That was one thing that, like, I noticed. And a lot of people, a lot of other people pointed out for the Sixers. They're like, although they do have this size on their team, their shooting wasn't going to be as good. Ben Simmons, obviously, not a shooter. Uh, Josh Richardson, he's a shooter, but... Not enough to be your best shooter on your team. Tobias Harris, he's like I said, same thing with Josh Richardson. He's a shooter, but not enough to be like the saving grace of a shooter on your team, like a JJ Redick was for them last season. Al Horford, he's a big man that can stretch the floor, the stretch the floor, I should say. But are you really going to trust him as a, as a three point shooter as well as Joel Embiid? So they needed that three point specialist or a couple of them on that team for them to be really effective to go along with a likes of a Ben Simmons. Or Joel and B, so they can like play with him, especially with Ben Simmons in transition. Joel and B has to kick it out from the post, just those type of plays. So, like I said, we'll get into that later. But 
back to the the Clippers. Well, the Clippers and the way they've been playing, they lost to the 76ers. And Simmons also had a triple-double that game with 12 rebounds and 10 assists. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is how the Sixers still won, only shooting 29.6% from the three, which is pretty abysmal as a team. The Clippers shot better better than them from the three-point line. They still lost. Um, I didn't get to watch too much of the game, but I caught a little bit of the highlights. And I don't know what is going on. And a lot of people have concern about the Clippers as to – What's going on with them? Is this something we're going to see in the future going on? Is, should we be concerned about the Clippers? More so Paul George. Because in the following game against the Celtics, he left the game with a hamstring injury, and that's been kind of a problem. A lot of people are thinking, oh, well, Kowalin is going uh, he's going to rest, do, uh, he's going to be blah, blah, blah. He's going to be load managing, this and that. But Kowalin, he's played a lot of games this season. I think last time I checked, I think he missed about seven to ten games. I think that's about it. I could be wrong, but it wasn't as many as he missed uh, last season around his time, I would say. But he's been playing a lot of games recently. It's more so Paul George and his actual injury, more than actual load management. But the Clippers are not rushing because it's still in a good like playoff spot. Last time I checked, they was three in number three in the West. Uh, they they're not great rush or like try to make Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play out of their comfort zone or play hurt. Because they know still they have a championship team, especially with them adding Marcus Morris to the team. Um, maybe, who I don't know. I don't want to place blame on him as to why they lost either because that's a good pickup, and it's too early to determine if he's the reason too. So I'm not going to make a statement like that and try to slander his name. But like I said, they lost to the Sixers, and as well in that game, and being Morris got into a little tangle after a basket, and Embiid is known for like, just getting it with people, getting like in arguments and like causing people to get rowdy and like stirring up a fight. That's because that's just who Embiid is. Uh, that's just who he is as a as a player. But following that game, like I said, they played the Celtics and they ended up going to double overtime. I watched through this game. Uh, and this, they ended up losing the Celtics one forty one to one thirty three. Uh, PG, like I said, he only played fifteen minutes in this game, scoring four points, but he left with a hamstring injury. Uh, he shot two for seven from the field. So I think as the season progresses for the Clippers, I think as Paul George getting into a more consistent rhythm and play well, because he had some good games. He had some good, like he played well against Indiana where I was there for that game, and he had about 37, 39 points. He played really well, and Kawhi didn't play that game, and the Clippers won. So it's not like he's having a bad season altogether. It's just very consistent, and he's not being as healthy as the team or not the team, as I would think he would be, because he did come in with, like, coming off of soldier, shoulder surgery, but he's had, like, a slew of other injuries, like, little nagging injuries, kind of like the shoulders, the hamstring, just, like, trying to fix those type of injuries that's been bothering him. So, he did not play most of that game, but Lou Will went off in this game. He had 35 points with eight assists, um, shooting 14 for 36, I think. Yeah, he did, and I maybe yeah, it was a lot of he missed a lot of shots. He missed like twenty shots that game, so he shot that. But Jason Tatum matched him and had thirty nine points on ten less shots than Lou Will. Jason Tatum was balling this game. A lot of people was talking about how he could be the star of the Celtics team going forward instead of Kimball Walker, because he is the younger player on that team, and Kimball Walker uh, reaching the age of thirty, if not this year, the next. And you was that's not bad, but Kemba's already in his prime, and we can see Jason Tatum ascending to his prime. 
along with Jalen Brown and a Marcus Smart on the team with young players. We got Gordon Hayward on that team as well. But Jason Tatum played like a stud this game, really carrying his team and helping them deliver that win against the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers got scored that game uh, from three-point line. As the Clippers shot 11 for 35 from three, while the Celtics shot 18 for 43 from the three-point line. So a little bit better efficiency from three-point line for the Celtics, which they are known for because they kind of play a small ball lineup as well. Not necessarily because with their big, they got Enos Cantor or uh, uh, Daniel Thice starting at the five. Uh, but they have going in with the four, Jason at the three, uh, Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. I think it's Jay. I think it's Jalen Brown that starts at the two and Kim Walker at the one. So they have a lot of different perimeter shooting, especially with the guys coming. Had they have they have coming off the bench, with Marcus Smart, a uh, Brian Wanamaker, a uh, Romeo Langford who started when Kim Walker was out, and Marcus Smart, uh, Ojewe. They had him playing as well. So uh, their bench. I would say the bitch is not as good as it used to be because you did lose a slew of players, but they're still making it work, and the Celtics are becoming a good team. They are a good team in the East, and possibly, I don't see it, but they could possibly be a threat in the Eastern like Eastern playoffs side of the of the bracket, if you call it that, uh, because many, including myself, have the Bucks coming out of the East. That's a no-brainer, but... The Celtics have proven on occasion, at least in the playoffs, to find out ways to stop Giannis. Not last season, because Giannis went through him, but like the season before, uh, they've proven to have ways to stop Giannis. And I'm not going to say they are going to stop him this year as well as the team, but with their three-point shooting, maybe they can. But it's a more so of a problem for the Clippers as it is for the Celtics, the way they play, because like I said, they did have two crucial losses against two like Eastern Conference top tier teams, if you consider the 76ers top tier, I don't really. Not the way they've been playing this season, which I'm gonna talk to talk about next, actually. But is it too much to worry about? Like should be should we really be concerned about the Clippers and their season so far? I say no. Cause I also say that like this is usual. Like not every team is going to be, like, as a dominant force throughout the league, throughout the whole season. Everybody goes through up and downs. But I say watch out for Paul George and make sure as long as he's healthy and consistent throughout the season, I think the Clippers will be fine, especially come playoff time. Like I said, they're not going to really rush and try to make Paul George play as much or be as healthy and rush him out on the court during regular season as they're more concerned with the championship. And a lot of, like, I heard a lot of people talk about the Clippers and what they should do or how they should approach games because we'll see them play down the competition sometimes, and they, that's where we see these losses come from. But when they play against the Lakers, it's more so that they're only focused on the Lakers and they can kind of hinder them towards their playoff run as they should be more focused on other teams and not just the Lakers themselves. So that's something I just want to touch on. But another topic I wanted to Lean into, as I mentioned it, is the 76ers. And what's going on with them? Joel Embiid, um, if you've been looking, he has been getting booed by the team. Or not by the team, but by the fans in Philly. And it's, I I guess I don't, I'm not too sure as to why, but from what I've heard and what I've conducted from watching some of the games and what I heard some other basketball pundits talk about, is coming from him not playing as hard. 
as like Ben Simmons is, because Ben Simmons with uh, Joel Embiid being now, he's been playing very well and kind of carrying the team and still delivering wins without Joel Embiid being there. But it kind of is like the fans are picking sides of who they believe is the true leader and the true person they can look at for this team. And they trust Ben Simmons more than they trust Joel Embiid. We see a lot of, like I said, Joel Embiid does a lot of antics and stuff. And there were times, at least in recent play, that we see Joel Embiid not hustle or play as hard as a Ben Simmons does, who plays hard every time he steps up on the court. Um, Where Joel Embiid, some people can question his mentality and wonder if he'll get out of this mind state of being playful or not being as serious. But the same can be said for Ben Simmons as we kind of see Joel Embiid not alluding to him, but possibly to, I'm just going to say it, it is him. The way the way he says it in press conference, it makes it seem like it is Ben Simmons. Because Joel Embiid has stated how the team needs to shoot better and take shots when they're wide open. There's no other player on the team that could be referring to besides Ben Simmons, who is afraid by who we, what we said on, on multiple occasions that Ben Simmons is afraid to take these jump shots because we've seen him shoot threes and he practices threes. And we even in the summertime, I remember him posting videos of him shooting threes, but we don't really see it in games. So it's more so of a confidence thing than it is than an actual I can't shoot type of ordeal going on with Ben Simmons. And that's been kind of a problem that's going on in the locker room. We've seen Al Horford even says that, yeah, there's some stuff going on. Like he said that to the media. And the 76ers just ain't getting it right. Like, there's just no clear-cut leader on this team to, like, make sure these type of things don't get out to the media, to make sure that, like, a Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are doing the right things they need to do as a team and not calling each other out subliminally and kind of working together and finding things out. And you would think that Al Horford would be that leader, but he, he's not stepping up to the plate and being that type of leader. He's more of a quiet type of leader than a real vocal leader to come in and change things. That's what Jimmy Butler was to that team before he left. And we can see it's apparently like Joel Embiid, he made, he sent out a cryptic, a cryptic tweet um, with him because he was shushing the crowd. I forget what game it was. It was earlier this week too. But he was shushing the crowd and say, uh, <laughs> die being a superhero live your, or live long enough to see yourself become a villain, which is, uh, I heard from Jay-Z. It might be an original quote from somebody else, but. I remember hearing it from Jay-Z. And Jimmy Butler commented that picture and said, I know a place where villains are welcome. And I think Joel Embiid's contract ends in about a year or two. And the uh, Heat have some cap space. Not this not this upcoming summer, but the summer afterwards. They have some cap space coming up. So, mm, very interesting. And the relationship between Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid is pretty strong. Uh, especially after last season, they respect each other's game. Especially Joel, he respects Jimmy Butler's game as well as Jimmy Butler respects Joel. And Joel appreciated Jimmy Butler for being that type of guy to hound him and like hold him accountable for his actions and his play in the game. And Joel and B likes that, but with him being gone, like I said, there is no real established leader on that team. And while Ben Simmons and Joel and Pete are the best players on that team, and they kind of get along, it's not more so of a brotherly, like, getting along with each other or type of relationship, I should say. So there was also a tweet that Al Horford's sister tweeted when talking about Joel Embiid and him getting booed, talking about this fan base is confusing. So I'm, 
I'm not too sure how much of a reliable thing that is of just not more so what she was saying because this fan the, from the outside looking at the fan base is confusing. But as to is there some disgruntledness on this with Al Horford because he did come to me and say there are some stuff going on in the locker room, but not he didn't actually say what was going on. And with her saying a tweet like that, it can make you wonder like, hmm, what's actually going on in this locker room like? How does a one like Al Horford feel about this fan base and feel about this organization when you see a, his sister tweet something like that? I don't want to go too deep into it because we can't, I'm not going to be the one to make a judgment based off a family member's tweet or what they're saying instead of from the actual player themselves. But that's just something I just want to toss out there. But what needs to happen to this team for them to be successful? Well, the obvious thing is they need to have better shooting. That's the obvious thing with that team. Because one thing I don't like, I do not like watching the 76ers, not more so because they can't shoot threes, it's just their inability to shoot threes. They shoot them, but they don't make them. They're just not as effective. And I feel like they try to force that play with players who are not as dominant or not as good as three-point shooters as they want to be. I think they should play more to their strengths. I don't know how Brett Brown can, like, work that. But they they found a way a little bit with having uh, Ben Simmons playing kind of in a dunker position instead of, like, uh, having a play style that they had where Ben Simmons would, like, bring it up the floor all the time. And it helped because Jimmy Butler was there to be a ball handler. But without Horford being there, I think it kind of claws up the paint a little bit. And like I said, Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris aren't as strong three-point shooters to kind of offset that. So – how do you mix all of these together with the likes of a great talent like a Joel Embiid and a Ben Simmons to create a, a winning formula in a way for this team to actually win? One thing I've seen them try or uh, I've seen Brett Brown try was bitching Al Horford. They started uh, Frank Courtmines instead of Al Horford in the game that they played against the Clippers. And Al Horford came off the bench and ended up scoring nine points. And they won that game. And they have, I think, the second, if not the best home record in the league, 25-2 and two last time I checked. So is that something they could possibly do going forward? Is they going, are they just going to bench Al Horford and have him come off the bench to relieve uh, Joel Embiid and start Cork Moss, who is a better shooter, to, on that team? Maybe. Maybe it'll work out this one game I've seen that tried as the season progressed. Cause I'm not, I'm not, I don't like to make judgments based off a game or two. I would like to see as it progressed. I'll give like a 10-game 15-game period to see how things go, to see if it's, like, something. Because you want things to get into rhythm. You want to see how teams play to adjustments and to different styles, like if it fits, if it don't fit. So maybe that's something going forward. Uh, if that's the case, then I don't know. Maybe they should trade him then. If that's the case, because they are paying him, like, max out. He's getting, like, a hundred. He got, like, a hundred-something million dollar contract for him to come off the bench. I don't know how they're going to fare too well. They got four players on that team. They got like a hundred-some million-dollar contracts. Tobias Harris got four-year, eight hundred and one hundred eighty million contract, which I believe to this day is like crazy with weight. I don't think he's deserving of that. But get your money. I ain't going to hate on you. Get your money, Tobias. You got Ben Simmons, who is on a, a contract extension as well as Joel Embiid. Like I said, I think his contract extension is up in a year or two. Um, and Al Horford, who they signed all season as well. So you got four players that's making over 100 something million. Something's got to happen. And either the coach got to find a way to fix this or somebody got to go.
So that's my take on that. Another thing I want to talk about today is rookie of the year. Now they're going to the season. Uh, Zion Williamson did not play, but and we, but he has come, but he has come back and played since January twenty first. I think it was his game back against the Spurs. But John Moran, who's been playing pretty well this season, who actually got his team in the playoffs in AC with the Grizzlies, who made including myself did not see that happening. Um, but a lot of people are arguing the case that can Zion Williamson be the rookie of the year? Um, we've seen Zion made a career high Thursday night in points with 32 and having a career night Tuesday with 31. So he broke his career high in the same week. Heck, the guy might go for 33 <laughs> next week after the All-Star break. I don't know. So we've seen that been going on. Um, I don't know if you can really classify as him being a rookie of the year. Granted, he, he, so far this season, he has averaged 22 points and eight rebounds with 58% shooting from the field and 36.4 shooting from three. But don't be fooled by that percentage of the three-point line because he only shot four for 11 from the three-point line. So I think four of those shots we came from the first game, we went four for four uh, against the Spurs in that fourth quarter explosion that he had that game. So don't be fooled by a three-point percentage. But the how can you really say he can be rookie of the year? Because by that logic, if you don't go by that now and say he can be rookie of the year, then Joel Embiid should have won rookie of the year the year Malcolm Brogdon won it. Because a lot of the shade that was thrown at Joel Embiid that year for why he shouldn't win was the fact that he didn't play the whole season. He wasn't there as much as a Malcolm Brogdon. So I think if the NBA is going to be consistent about that and make their decision about it, I think they're going to have John Morant be the rookie of the year, even though that, I mean, it's not granted or anything. Like, let's say a Zion Williamson gets his team to the playoffs because he is averaging more points than a John Morant. And saying that he finds, he finds his way to get the Pelicans to the playoffs, does that make him rookie of the year? I can't, I don't know. I, I want to be consistent, and I want to give John Morant the rookie of the year still because when we look at it, John Morant for the season is averaging 18 points, seven assists, four rebounds, and a steal, shooting 49% from the field, and he's also shooting 36% from three-point line, and it's not like he's a John Morant with John Morant, not John Morant, uh, Zion Williamson only took 11 shots from three-point line. John Morant took about uh, 106 three-pointers compared to, and, well, he he took – 106 three-pointers and made 38 of them compared to Zion's 4 for 11. So he's actually taking these shots and making a good percentage based off the shots. And like I said, he's has more of a he has he took more shots compared to Zion. So that three-point percentage holds up actually compared to Zion's. And he's his team is ACU in the playoffs, like I said. And they also are last time I say they also top ten in points per game, rebounds per game, and a number one assist per game due to John Morant and other team on that another players on that team, the likes of Jaron Jackson Jr., uh Dylan Brooks and Balance Tunis and Brandon Clark who are contributing well to that team. They they're playing better than the Pelicans are playing right now. Um they also have a guy named uh oh, like I said, Brandon Clark. He's uh being he is the best three point shooter on that team, averaging forty two percent from the three point line and averaging twelve points. So with them having a better team and a better style of play compared to the Pelicans, even though they do got all-star Brandon Ingram, they haven't been as consistent with the, as the Grizzlies have been because ever since I can remember in the beginning of the season, 
the uh, Grizzlies have somehow been in the playoffs. Granted, they are being AC and they've been like sub 500 at most points. They still in the playoffs. The Pelicans have not touched that uh, this year, at least to my memory. I could be wrong. But John Morant, he's a big factor as to why they are the AC seed in the playoffs and why they are playing as well this year uh, in the NBA so far. He notched his first triple-double on Sunday uh, against the Wizards with 27 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists, which I would think he would have more because everybody compared him to Russell Westbrook and, like, seeing him play in college, he kind of has it at play style where he would get triple-double, but he's not really going after the triple-double. And you see it's still carrying over well as he's playing with, like I said, his teammates on that team who can do and take a little bit off the load for him. But I think as they get older and as they progress, because you have a lot of young players on this team, like I said, with Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, and the Brandon Clark. And Val Shunes, who's not really too young, but he's still young enough to where he can grow better, he can grow more as a player. So I think in a couple of years, this team could probably be a pretty formidable team. And that's like what Dylan Brooks is talking about and it's when it comes to him and the Eagle Dollar stuff that went on uh, last week and this whole season, uh, more so recently these past couple of weeks, and talking about why Eagle Dollar doesn't want to play with them as and why he should because they are a playoff contention team. And it's still a good team regardless of what Eagle Dollar thinks about them. So um, one thing I'm going to end the show on is talking about, on a good note, Devin Booker replaced Damian Lillard as an all-star this year as Dan Lillard got injured with a groin injury uh, this past Wednesday against, um, who did they play? They played, dang, I just seen it too. Can't think about it on top of my head. But, Dan Lillard had a groin injury that he suffered, and he said he was not going to play this um, weekend, an all-star weekend. He was supposed to be in a three-point contest. Uh, he performed still. Uh, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Saturday. Um, he performed still. And but he he's not playing the All Star game, and Devin Booker actually came down to the final round of the of three point shooting contest. I I I haven't seen the dunk contest, so I'm not gonna really talk too much about it because I haven't seen it. I had to go see a movie during that time, so I can't really touch on it. But the the fact that Devin Booker is finally an All Star, I'm glad he's the first choice because you can kind of look at it and say he got robbed, but at the same time it's like with the guards in the West, who are you taking out? For him, you see what I'm saying. You had a Russell Westbrook, you had a James Harden, you had a Chris Paul, you have a Damian Lillard, you have a Luka Doncic. Who is Dan, who is Devin Booker really replacing on an All Star team? It's just hard to pick, and it makes you wonder: Can he even do it next season? Like, is it possible for him to even? Because I I know I mentioned it before on the show. I think it, it was last week, if not the week before, um, when I was talking about All Stars. Can he become an All Star, even though it's not this, or even though it's not next season? Because he is one this season. Can he become one next season with the likes of a Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Steph Curry coming back from injury, and Paul George? I guess you could say the guard. He's been playing two guard a lot this season. So if you throw him in that guard category, that's going to be kind of hard and more difficult for a Devin Booker to do it. So I'm glad he got it this year. Um, Barn got granted. It was at the. Uh, at the extent of Dan Lillard getting a groin injury and not being able to play. But it's good for him to become an all-star this year and to be a part of this game finally because he deserved it. He's been playing well this year. He's been averaging 28 points, five rebounds, and six assists, all 49% shooting from the field as a guard. 
That's crazy. As a guard doing this, not as a big man, as a guard, averaging almost fifty percent from the field. That's 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 pretty doggone good. Um, and shooting thirty four percent from the three point line. Um, he's like I said, he's playing really well, but like his team, the Suns is not playing too well. But a lot of people like throwing has to. He shouldn't be all star anyway because his team's not playing well. We got Trey Young, who has one of the worst worst records in the league with the Hawks. He's an all star starter, so it's like. You pick your poison and you choose of when somebody is actually off and when they're not. But my whole thing is, I don't unless there's like a, a like a deep decline. Donovan Mitchell's all star this year too. I forgot to mention that, so I kind of played into that as well. But unless there's like a decline in the play of a Chris Paul, who's playing really well this year, he's part of the reason why the Thunder, if not. A key uh, reason as to why the Thunder is in the playoffs this year, unless there's like a, like I said, a, a steep decline in the play of a Chris Paul or any of those other guards. Uh, I, I mentioned him first because he's a little bit older than the rest of them. So I don't know if Devin Booker makes it again. I mean, that's not that's not gonna really be a true diamond because we see the likes of a Mike Conley who had plenty a plenty of great years in Memphis Grizzlies, but he never made an all-star team because of it being the stacked Western Conference that it is with the guards that they have. So, I don't know, man. Even if he tries to go to Minnesota, like I said last week, with his boys D'Lo and Cat, who they are still in the West, I don't see him becoming an all-star unless when one of them players retire, unless Chris Paul retires. Uh, we see Russell and James go out there decline because – Dame Lillard, he's still relatively young. I think he's approaching his ninth, eighth year in the league. It's crazy. I didn't think he went by that fast. Um, as well as, who else? Uh, Luca, he's pretty young. James Harden, he's like 30, 31 as well. So it's like, I, I just bank on, I don't know, because Stephen Clay is going to be back next year. So it's, I don't know. He might not make it. I'm saying he's not going to make it. Not with the stack West. But he's still a good player, though. But that's all I have today, guys. I've been rambling on for about this for a while. I'm tired. It's 3 a.m. when I'm recording this. But you got to do what you got to do. All right? Thank you all for joining me for Trade Ball. Make sure you like, subscribe, and comment on this video. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're listening to this on a podcast, share it with your friends and family, uh, post it on social media. But, uh, yeah, I'm done, man. Stop me get some rest. <laughs> Peace out, dog.